Uh, so we're in our, our third week of the wisdom literature of the Proverbs and the book of James. We together uh, recited a chapter from Proverbs around wisdom and uh, the availability of wisdom, uh, but what happens when we don't take advantage of that. And that's very similar to what James is talking about here in relationship to our tongues, to our language, to what we say, how we say it, and why we say it. And it isn't lost on me that the first section is talking about a, a judgment and greater judgment on teacher, teachers, and I'm up here having to teach uh, on this passage, so that's really exciting for me right now. Uh, you know, words can change people's destinies. It can, words, words can change and alter the course of history in really dramatic ways. Words can build things up and, and, and tear things down. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really important to take time to reflect on this, and, and I'm glad it's in the, in the lectionary reading uh, in this section of wisdom that we're in right now on the church calendar. And um, I think it's a very relevant to even just uh, as we acknowledged the 20th year of, of 9-11 uh, yesterday and, and the language around how we remember and memorialize different things um, and the grief in that, the grief in the 20 years in Afghanistan, and the way those things are talked about shape what we feel so often. Um, when, when I first started teaching elementary art, I taught elementary art uh, when I was 23, uh, 15 years ago, uh, and I, I sat down in that classroom and I started teaching kids, I started teaching second graders, you know, eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds and people like that, little kids, little guys. Um, I had a Bachelor of Fine Arts. I had mastered many painting and sculptural skills, drawing skills. I'd shown my work professionally. Um, I had done lots of things in visual art. And I sat down to teach these kids on the carpet some basic things about visual art. And I was very quickly faced with the fact that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew that even though I was trying to teach some really basic skills to second graders, when, when I started to do that work, um, it was a lot more difficult than I thought. And I realized that my mastery over this visual art form was only in specific areas, and that to be able to teach, I had a lot more work to do. So, so when I had to teach it, the, the language that I had access to and the ability to communicate it to these children, it became clear that was lacking for me. And, you know, when I think about language and, and teaching, I also think about this experience I had when I was 18. I went on a youth missions trip to Venezuela and with an organization called YWAM. Any, any, any YWAMers out there? Anybody know anything about YWAM, Youth with a Mission? Yeah? So we went there, and uh, two people and no woos, so that's, that's not a good sign. We, we went there, and we learned this skit. We learned before we went, we learned this dramatization of the passion of Christ, of, of the crucifixion of Jesus. And uh, we would go out into public places. We went in the city, we went out to rural places, and we would do this play 
uh, and it was there were no words uh, to it. And I think we had like a little boom box that we hit play and there was like a soundtrack that went with it. And so we did, we did this whole passion play. And afterwards, somebody pre-selected would get up and give a testimony and then explain the gospel. And it was usually, old, it was usually adults. And uh, I was 18, so, uh, you know, s- sorry to break it to you, Hall, but I, I didn't consider that an adult. Um, or I don't looking back. And... Uh, and I said, I want to do it. I was feeling really passionate about uh, wanting to share with people, not just with this, this skit, but with my words. And, and when I got up to do it, um, I found that I really didn't know what I was talking about. But I didn't find that out until I was you know, up there in front of everybody in five minutes and all these Spanish-speaking pe- people are just looking at me and I'm like, yeah, I'm, this is, I bombed. That's, that's terrible. Um, and, and what these two instances have to do with this morning, what they taught me, as, especially as I reflect back on them, is how incredibly important our words and our language are to be able to communicate, to make meaning, to teach other people, to be in relationship with other people for better or for worse. And that's what James is talking about here in this passage. He's helping us zoom in and reflect on this very ordinary thing that we do all the time every day, which is talk and communicate through words and also through text. And he says this uh, in in the first uh, couple of verses here. Uh, He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So he starts off the first part of this as, with a warning. And that warning is, hey, look, you shouldn't become teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. And, and actually the verb right there that he uses, labano, uh, about you will be judged more strictly. It sounds kind of like in the Greek, like you're going to catch some judgment. It's kind of like what we say in Memphis, like the homies say in Memphis, like you're going to catch some hands, man, if you do this, right? And, and um, so he's drawing some attention to that. And the thing about it is there's a sense of like a future judgment there, but anybody who's taught anything, especially if you teach as adults, you know that you're gonna catch judgment like immediately. Like you guys are already judging everything that I'm saying so far and how interesting it is and how correct it is and all these kinds of things. But for James, if you've been here the past couple of weeks and you've, you've been listening, what's also important to James is the life that the person lives. So the judgment just doesn't come from the words being used, but it also comes from matching the life of the person with the words being used to the point where even like the Apostle Paul would say, like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think part of that is why in our culture, in American culture, the, the kind of the more high profile a teacher gets, like a, a, a Bible teacher or a, a, or a pastor or something, the less accessible their life gets. So I'm up here and I'm like, I'm thinking like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta preach on, on how you use your words. And, and my wife, Becky, she asked me like, how's the sermon prep going? And I'm like, well, I'm teaching on something. 
and that I think is really hard knowing you're going to be listening because it's about how, how we use our words and, um, and you've got a lot of, of valid critiques of, uh, for that for me. But James isn't just talking about teachers. We're not going to be up here doing this. I'm not uh, fishing for pity or anything like that about how hard it is to teach and all that kind of thing. He moves on to say that we all stumble in many ways, right? In verse two, which he means like sin, like make bad choices. And he's saying about teaching, about using your words, about being someone who stumbles in many ways, that anyone who could speak perfectly is basically going to be able to do everything else perfectly, He uses this word in the Greek, perfect, meaning complete, teleos, like to be complete and fully formed. That's what James is interested in. So I want you to pay attention to that. I want you to hang on to that because it's gonna come back because this passage, it gets pretty bad pretty fast, right? Like tongues of fire set on fire by hell. Like we're gonna go down for a little while here. But I want you to remember that James's goal here is that we learn as disciples of Jesus what it ultimately means to become more and more mature and complete. That's the way he starts this book out. And he's pointing out, as he did with other things, such as showing favoritism uh, in the church being one of those things, and how we treat the poor and how we serve with our actions. He's, He's drawing attention to these couple of really important issues, and he's saying this is very true of how we use our work words, and our language. So ultimately, he's going to take us to a point where it's not looking good, and then we're going to find what the way into maturity is from there. So have you ever blurted this out to somebody before when you were, when you were um, hearing something they were saying, and it was kind of painful to hear how they were describing choices they were making? Have you ever blurted out, let me give you a piece of advice. Anybody ever said that? And you're like, oh, why did I say that? And here I go, I'm giving advice. It's almost like, I, I did that uh, a few months ago uh, to my wife, to Becky, and I said, you notice a lot of my illustrations have to do with my wife right now? It's the, that's the pandemic, right? I'm just like, we're sitting here looking at each other and there's nobody else around. So, yeah. So when you go back, as I'm sure you all will, and you'll listen to all these sermons again, just for edification, you know, you'll know when the pandemic's kind of like curbed off when my illustrations get like broader, okay? So I found myself saying this one time and it was like seeing it happen in slow motion. You know, like on movies when somebody's like dropping something really important and it goes into slow motion. It was like I could see myself, I was looking at myself saying, let me give you some, and I'm like, no, self, don't do that. But it just kept happening right? So it's like when you start to try to teach other people, you need to be aware that the very words you use will be measured against you. I think I heard Jesus say something like that uh, sometime, somewhere in the Bible. It was in Matthew, by the way. I do know. (laughs) So um, you just can't help but do some of those things sometimes. 
And uh, James is highlighting this fact that we're much better at trying to tell other people what to do than for our lives and our own actions to match up really well. And he goes on in, in, in those verses to say, right, like if you could do this in verse two and three, then you'd be perfect. And we've got that word on the screen as well, that teleos word, that complete, consummate human with integrity and virtue. And again, what I wanna illustrate here is that is actually James's goal. He wants you to become that, okay? So this, this will lead us into despair and back out of it, hopefully. Verse three, he starts to use illustrations about the tongue, about our language. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we could turn the whole animal or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. So, you know, he's just saying like, even though it's small, even though our voice box, our tongue produces words is small, it has a huge impact. That's kind of where we started this morning. I think about like a master teacher in the classroom. Again, when I first started teaching, I remember watching a teacher walk through the hall and she was uh, in her 60s and she was gonna be retiring soon. And I would watch the students with her, these middle school students. And uh, she would barely even have to speak a half a word and they would just just in place, right? Let's think about those kind of people. I also think about things like the meaning of words, how powerful they are like in commemoration of this 9-11 tragedy, just like this phrase of war on terror and how that shaped so much of our thinking as a country. Or like, like the difference between calling a human being an illegal alien versus an immigrant, Like how powerful are these little words? How much do they shape our views of reality? Or like even calling a person homeless, like that's a homeless person versus saying a person who's currently experiencing homelessness. Like this is like the rudder of a ship. Just the way we phrase and articulate these things Uh, have huge impact into how the direction of the culture goes. This has to do with race as well, right? Like if we're talking about somebody and we say a white person versus saying someone of Anglo-Saxon or European or Italian descent or somebody who's from Nigeria versus just calling them black or who gets to be identified as a patriot, Is a patriot somebody who's in arms, who wants to fight and kill enemies? Or can a patriot also be somebody who wants to uh, wage a nonviolent war for equity and thinks it's important to battle over how we define who an American is, who an American isn't? So language is incredibly powerful. It can steer the ship of culture. It can steer our hearts all different types of ways. And James is saying, pay attention to this. This is important. Every word that you use matters. It shapes things. Uh, My two-year-old who's in the back with my wife right now, Xavier, he's recently started um, really expressing that he loves his family. And... uh, and yesterday, uh, my two older kids, Benjamin and Malia, were with their grandma. And Xavier was talking about, he said, I, I, I love you, Daddy. 
I said, oh, thanks, buddy. I love you too. I said, who else do you love? And he said, I love Benji, and I love Mama, and I love Malia. And he was just talking, he just went through the whole list of, of the family of, of the people that he loved. And I was just thinking, man, we're doing something right as parents. I'm thankful for that, for our just two-year-old to be able to express that uh, without any real prompting. He's just saying he loves us. He actually said he was grateful for me last week. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to melt into a puddle of fatherly love. Uh, I think about a friend of mine. This was several years ago. I'll probably never forget it. We were hanging out on the porch and he said, you know, Jamin, I'm in awe of you. And, and that, just those few couple of words were, are strong enough to carry me through a lot, that somebody sees me that way to, to the point where they could have a moment where they feel in awe of me. I got a message from a, uh, a young man several years ago when he graduated college on Facebook, and I had picked this guy up for church for over a year when he was a teenager, um, is a, in a single, single parent home and spent a lot of time with him until he went off to college. And I never heard anything back from him. And when he graduated college, I think I, I said, you know, congratulations on Facebook. I'm really proud of you. And he sent me a message. He's like, you know, Jamin, I'd never told you this, but that time you spent with me was so important to me. And these, these little words, these things that people share, they can build such powerful things in our culture, in our world. At Christ City, one of the things that I love that's always been a part of this culture of Christ City, that we can give former leaders the, the credit for starting, is toasting. So when we have elder retreats or we have a volunteer dinner or uh, we have a staff birthday, we toast people and we toast each other. And I've always enjoyed doing that, but I've, I've found that as I've grown and matured that I really, I can't wait to toast people. I love to toast people. I could do it for a really long time. I love to give those words of affirmation to people because there's, there's so much to appreciate that goes unexpressed, that people just don't hear enough. And I think that my life would actually be a lot different if I didn't have those little encouragements along the way, just those words that were given to me by different people who saw me. I think my life would actually be functionally different if I didn't have those things. You can't express often enough how grateful you are for something beautiful about somebody, something special about them, something dope about them, something noble about their character. Um, you know, it's also, there, and there are several people in our church like this, and I was talking with Mark Minyard a little bit about this yesterday, and he's one of them. There's people that in the midst of a bunch of just really blunt arguments using really polarized words, there's people who use their words carefully and they think about them carefully, whether it be online or in person, and they engage in really meaningful dialogue in a world where most people are satisfied just to vilify whatever side they're not on. And this is the power of words too. This is important. This shapes 
culture. In fact, as a church, with things like our eight practices, things like our vision and mission, things like how we talk about things on a Sunday morning, we have the ability to be a type of rudder for culture, to be a type of rudder with the sensitivity of the words that we use and how that either, as James says later, how it either gives out blessing or curses. He says, you bless God with the same mouth that you curse one another with. So can we find more of those words to affirm one another, to sensitively and delicately talk about issues that are dividing so much of our country? I want us to do something together. If you've got a pen, get your pen. If you don't, find a a pencil in the pew back Bible. I mean, in the pew back. Grab one of those little red pencils or ask, ask somebody for a pen if they're in your germ bubble or whatever. Um. I want you to take a moment and think about, if you don't have anything to write with, uh, you can use your phone, write in your notes, just don't get stuck on social media or shopping. I want, I want to give us just 60 whole seconds uh, to think about somebody that we're grateful for, something that we are grateful for about somebody that hasn't heard this from you maybe in a while, maybe not ever. And I want you to write for the next 60 seconds as many things as you can that you're grateful about as many people as you can in that amount of time, especially if it's not something you've told them recently. So your minute's starting right now. If you're on the podcast, uh, hearing this later, do it. Put your phone down, let let the recording play, and write. Thirty more seconds. All right, let's make sure that those people get those, what you wrote, whether you want to say it to them or give it to them in writing. Here we go, back into James chapter five, I mean, verse five. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. We just made some good, great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James, unfortunately, is not really using, he's not thinking about hyperbole a lot when he's saying this. We can all think of things that we've said that we regret, things that we've said that have caused a lot of damage that's injured people, um, things, little, little small phrases. When somebody needed to hear something different and we told them, I don't believe you, I don't trust you, 
Or, you know, you're just a sad person. Or maybe more political type of labels like, you're a snowflake. Or maybe it's just, you aren't very smart. Or you're too much. Or maybe gossip. Some of us have a problem with gossip. Yeah, somebody in here, if you're hearing this, you might have a problem with gossip. And what I mean by gossip is something that's not yours to share. Could be something somebody told you in confidence, something that you shared with another person, and it just wasn't your information to share. Some of us do this a lot. And gossip can also be something we've shared that we don't really know if it's true or not, that we're sharing misinformation. Maybe it's online, maybe it's in person, uh, maybe it's some of both. It's also when we make these straw man, reductivist arguments where we make other people look completely evil with our words just because they don't see things the same way that we do. In the book of Proverbs, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of verses that, that talks about these types of things. It says this, and it's on the screen. The mouths of fools are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. And then about gossip, the words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. It's, it's weird how attractive it is sometimes for us, how good it feels in the moment to belittle someone with our words. It's a shortcut, really. I mean, it's a shortcut. It's this thing that James is getting at. It's sort of the opposite of Christian wisdom. It's believing that the way that we find our worth and value is by categorically undermining the worth of other people. Same thing he talked about with favoritism. Same thing he talked about with uh, uh, how we care for the poor, the disadvantaged, the marginalized. And he's saying it's actually the opposite of that. That with the same mouth we we curse our, our brother and sister that we bless God with. The one who was made in God's image, we curse. And this is what gossip is. This is what these types of ways of interacting with people are. So um, he moves on to, because he, he, I guess he didn't feel like the point was made well enough in verse seven and eight. And he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So it's like, okay, wow. So that, that's, we're taking a turn here, right? He's saying like, let me just make this real clear to you. Like, you can get house, well, you can't tame house cats. I was about to start with cats, and they're like the least tameable things. Yeah, and I got way more cats in my backyard. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you haven't missed any Sundays, you know the cat stories, right, recently. Uh, but we tame all these kinds of animals, and yet you could do all this. You could teach a tiger to jump through a hoop and, you know, an elephant to stand on a little bucket or whatever, uh, but you can't control your own mouth, saying it's, it's really bad. You know, it's like when you think, why did I say that? Why did I respond like that again? Why can't I do this differently? Why can't I not stop myself from gossiping? Why does it feel so good to do it, right? Whatever your thing is, why can't I have better boundaries with what I say? And, you know, James, I think, is intentionally guiding us to this point where we can recognize when we really look closely at this that there's a sense of powerlessness that we have as human beings. That we don't, 
we don't seem to be able to master, to have self-mastery over our language and our words. And it can, it can bring us to the point of despair. It could be, it could be really depressing. In fact, you know, like in a 12-step program, which we are, we're uh, very supportive of here at Christ City, and many of, many of us have benefited greatly from 12-step programs, the first of the 12 steps in recovery is to admit that you're powerless over an addiction. And, you know, something is an addiction when it's something harmful that you do that you can't stop doing. Sounds like talking, <laughs> Can't stop talking in a way that blesses people and does not curse people, right? All right, so here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I can't control my tongue. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can't control my tongue. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's a fire set by hell. All right, all right. So you are all now initiated into a 12-step program. You've just admitted you were powerless over your tongue. The Bible just calls that as being having a sinful nature, essentially. You're predisposed to not be able to master things that even if you wanted to, you couldn't. Thing is, most of us aren't sober enough all the time to admit that to ourselves. We convince ourselves that we were justified in the things that we said to that person because we were hurt, because it didn't feel good, because it put us into pain. But James doesn't just stop with this observation that humans can't tame our tongues. Uh, he, he moves on and he says this. This isn't really important. In verse nine, he says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Verse 10, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So here's what he did. He took us, He's, he took us down and he said, you can't control your tongues. I can't control my tongue. No human being seems to be able to do this. You can tame, not cats, but all the other animals, but you can't tame your tongue. And then he says, but it shouldn't be like that. Oh, oh thanks, James. Yeah, so that, that definitely should not be, he says. And then he explains why. In verse 11, he says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? And some of you are like, I don't know. I've never seen either one of those things. I don't, know. I don't know what that actually looks like. I just go to the supermarket and figs are only things in a smoothie. I've never even actually seen what they look like. But they can't, spoiler alert. Or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James, he doesn't answer how to solve this, that it shouldn't be like this. This harsh gossiping language, this shaming language, sarcasm, resentful speech. He doesn't tell us how it shouldn't happen, only that it shouldn't. And then he talks about these two things, right? Like these, the, the fig tree and the olive tree. He talks about the spring of salt water and fresh water. And it reminds me of this language um, in, it's, in, it's in some of the Enneagram traditions. It's in some of the traditions of the saints. And it's called different things, but the language that I'll use for it this morning is actions and things that we take to integrate ourselves and things that 
we take that disintegrate ourselves. So when we say one thing to a person's face and then something else to somebody else about that person, that's a movement of disintegration, of a flowing of salt water and fresh water out of the same stream. And James is showing us that to be an integrated person would be a complete person, that teleos, right? So that a person is the same no matter which direction they are facing. That's the idea of integrity, integrated, that your front matches your back, that what you say here, what you do here in front is gonna match what you do over here. And so we have these sort of situations before us where we're speaking blessings and then we're speaking curses and we find ourselves disintegrating. So this is really helpful language to me to think about this because if all I'm left with, if James just said it's sin or it's stumbling, it wouldn't be enough language to help me think through this situation. But thinking about it in terms of these, these two things that can't go together, this integration versus disintegration, it makes a lot of sense to me. Jesus says it in Matthew 7, 16 and 20, he talks about that a tree is known by its fruit, right? So that's where James is kind of playing off of this here. So that if you're a fig tree, you're gonna produce figs that uh, your, your shadow self, the part of you that's not in front of others is going to match and integrate with the face that you put forward to other people. And as I was thinking about this, because James sort of leaves this section and he moves on and he talks about some other things, some aspects of wisdom, but it reminded me back of what he talked about in the very first chapter. So we're gonna conclude on these verses here to see what hope he had already offered us as he leads us to the point of powerlessness with our tongue. So in verse James chapter one, verse four through eight, this is what he says. He's talking about life here. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, teleos, not lacking anything. And here's what you do. If any of you lacks wisdom, ah, wisdom is what it takes to be in control of our tongues, to have self-mastery. So how do we do that? We bear down harder. We grab the, grab the steering wheel harder. We try harder to be in control with our willpower. Is that what we do? No. He said, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Listen to this. Listen to this language right here in verse eight. Such a person is double-minded of, of two minds, disintegrated and unstable in all they do. Ah, so this is why James is trying to bring me all the way to see I really can't control this thing on my own. Because I'm just sort of kind of like, yeah, I kind of need some help with this, but not really. I mean, they really deserved it or I really was justified in doing it. I'm gonna be going into this double-minded. That wisdom is not gonna be available to me. Just like in the Proverbs, we all read together. Wisdom calling out and we're like, yeah, wisdom, thanks. I don't need you right now. I need you later when I've already passed up the opportunity to develop you. 
and I was fine being double-minded until I caught, got caught in a fork in the road, right? And so James is set telling us wisdom is available. You just have to be sure you need it if you want to get it. So what does this look like? How do we change? If we want to change, if we're convinced we need to change, if we're convinced that what we want to do was things that are written on that paper with our words, those things you just wrote down, if that's what we want to develop into and mature into as disciples of Jesus, we ask God for wisdom and we ask if we are not dependent enough yet that he brings us to that point. Read the wisdom literature of the Psalms and Proverbs, practical step you could take. Discipleship is also about finding somebody that you admire their speech and their conduct in life. And you ask them not to sit down and have a bunch of Bible studies with you, although that could be part of it, but more just like, hey, can I hang out around you and see how it is that you've learned to navigate the world with your speech in such a way that I wanna do that. I wanna do that too. This is about surrender, a surrender to God. Here's a question you can ask. It's a question I asked Stacy uh, Martin, one of our elders, to get better insight. I asked her the question, what's it like for some people to be with me as a leader? Whew. Painful. It's painful when somebody's willing to share that honestly with you. But if you have doubts, if you feel like, I'm pretty dang good at controlling my tongue. Start asking people that you love and that you care about that question, ones that can be honest with you. And you'll learn, wow, I need help from God. 